0: Today, I am doing a sermon entitled The Family Dance. We're in the series Dancing with David, looking at life's ups and downs by looking at David's lives and life rather and the thing that, things that went on in his life. And uh, the family dance has to do with the struggles that we have in this, uh, in this life with family. Have you heard the story about the southern lady who went to her pastor because she wanted a divorce from her husband? And he said, do you have any grounds? And she said, well, yes, sir, about three acres just outside of town. You've been there. He said, no, I mean, do you have a grudge? And she said, no, I don't have a grudge, but we do have a carport. He said, no, no, something like, does your husband beat you up? She said, no, I'm up at six, an hour before him every day. (laughs) He said, oh my, what I'm trying to say is, do you have a case? She said, no, but we do have a John Deere. And he said, ma'am, I'm trying to ask you, are you and your husband having any troubles? And she said, oh yeah, lots of troubles. And he said, like what? And she said, well, he just can't communicate. (laughs) And we all have struggles in life. We're going to talk about that in uh, terms of family today. Let's pray. Father, we invite your presence right now, knowing that your Holy Spirit is here. Jesus, we don't want to just gather and have a nice little meeting. We want to know that you've been with us. We want to feel your Holy Spirit and your presence, Lord, in this room, in our hearts, in our lives. We want your guidance. Lord, today can be life-changing. And we pray that you'd make life better as we trust and follow you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So three things to remember about the difficulties of family life. That's what I want to talk about today as we look at David's life. The first is this. There are no perfect families. That may not seem very encouraging to you to hear. But the point is the enemy will tempt you and one of the ways he does is to to make you think every other family is perfect and ours has problems. We, we, We just are different and we've had so many struggles and everybody else has a good life and I don't and he'll try to discourage you. But the truth of the matter is there are no perfect families. As we sit here today and look at all the wonderful people here, None of us can say that our lives and our families have been perfect. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Well, if it's true that not a single person is always good and never sins, then a family would be a collection of people coming together under one roof, and it would certainly be even more true that families aren't perfect and we have sin that visits us. The key to family life is the same to personal life. If you keep trusting God, no matter how hard it is, keep moving forward, do your best to follow God's word, and you don't quit. You've heard me say it before, but one of the best things I've ever done, maybe the best thing, is is not quit. Don't quit. And in the end, if you'll follow him, you'll see that he works things out. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Families have problems. Now let's look at the life of David. David, the man of integrity who led with skillful hands. David, the one that was uh, uh, honored by God. Let's look at his life and his family. Now I'm not going to read the scriptures today, but I, I did write them down there for you to take a peek at because we went over them last week. But one of the places we first see sin appearing in David's life is his own sin with his family, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And we talked about that extensively last week. But it starts with the man of the household himself committing adultery. And that's certainly a problem for families, especially when he ends up marrying the woman that he committed adultery with. And then we see other things that we haven't talked about yet. David's son Amnon raped Tamar talk about family sin look at 2nd Samuel thirteen ten. then Amnon said to Tamar bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand and Tamar took the bread that she prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom but when she took it to him to eat he grabbed her and said come to bed with me my sister don't my brother she said to him don't force me such a thing should not be done in Israel don't do this wicked thing what about me Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You'd be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. that's certainly the way he went down in history. Please speak to the king, she said. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Wow, now we're talking incest in the family and rape. And you, you talk about sins of the family that are terrible. And then David's son Absalom killed his brother Amnon. Amnon's the one who raped Tamar. So now we have in the family one brother murdering the other brother. 2 Samuel 13, 28, Absalom ordered his men. And these are both David's sons here. Listen, when Amnon is in high spirits and he's the one who raped the sister and Absalom is mad, and rightly so, When Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Have I not given you this order? And he did have some power and authority as a king's son. Be strong and brave. So Absalom, Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. Good grief. Now we're talking adultery. Murder, David had murdered Uriah, another son, now murders one of his sons. Rape, all in the family, family sin. Then later, I'll talk about it, but I want to mention it now. David's son Absalom betrayed David and tried to steal his throne. I don't know how sin can get much worse in a family than those things that we just listed right there that are in the scriptures about David, this man that God loved. The truth is all of us have sin in our families. I did a little exercise in my mind this week. I tried to think of a family that that I knew well, because you'd have to know them well to evaluate, a family that I knew that did not have sin or some sort of shameful thing in it. And I thought good and long, and I couldn't think of one family that, doesn't, that didn't have sin, hurt, pain caused by someone's actions. Not one. So that means that every one of us have had things that are embarrassing in life in our families. 1 John 1.10, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Again, if that's true individually, that's true collectively for families. And it is true. I can think of my own family and see hurt, pain, and sin. We have roots in California, and I have cousins, first cousins, that I grew up with pretty close to that spent a lot of time in jail in prison. I look at that and think, man, along the way, if I take a wrong turn, if my family doesn't, my, my parents don't cover me and keep me in church, and who knows what could have happened. The truth, the truth is all of us are capable of terrible things that we, we sometimes would never think we could do. Well, my immediate family blessed me, but there, there, was, there was still pain in our family one of my cousins his name is Sean we were born a day apart uh, a day between us and grew up together till we were 10 years old probably together every day of our lives and and the guy I played with the most as I was growing up and Sean just went a completely different route than we went and he's he's been a fighter all his life I mean dangerously uh just to be honest, stabbed someone and and went to prison for that and and uh, then got out and had more trouble. He's just been in trouble all along the way. And recently, uh, I heard that he accepted the Lord. I went back to Missouri to visit him, and it was uh, it was so cool to hear him as we were driving down the road. He started quoting scriptures, and he quoted scriptures for five minutes or so. I mean, just scripture after scripture, and I thought, wow. Sean's coming along man the Lord has touched Sean's life so when he's done I wanted to encourage him I said good job Sean you're you're memorizing the word that's awesome he said thanks man and we drove about two miles further and he looked over at me just as serious as he could be with that look that I would known before and he said Stanley I believe I could whip you as a deep accent I mean evidently wasn't all gone what was ever in there you know and I I said well you probably could, but we're not going to find that out today, because I'm not going to fight you, Sean. And then when we were with the kids later on, my kids and the family, they found out a little bit about Sean. I had told him about him a little bit, and God is my witness. I love this guy. I mean, I, I just, I've just loved him since we were kids, you know, as my cousin. But he was talking about a fight he had with my kids, you know, as my kids were listening, I should say, and he talked about this guy who had him all bound up, and he said that he couldn't get loose, so he just bit him as hard as he could, and I mean, this, this guy is mean, and he said, uh, the guy started screaming, saying, oh, help me, God, oh, Jesus, help me, and Sean said, I think I led him to the Lord right there. I mean, that's violent, but it's true. This guy is, is, is mean, and he's one of the guys I was close to growing up. And I could tell you about other things and other people in the family and mistakes and sin that has been committed, pain that has been caused. Do you know the name Bruce Turnage? You probably saw on TV this week. We talk about family here. Bruce and Josh were the ones that are on trial for the murder of two police officers in 2008 when they set off a bomb at the bank in Woodburn. And that was just in the news this week as they're going through that trial. Here's some interesting things about that family that may surprise you. Um, Bruce Turnage's grandfather was a minister, a missionary. And Josh, his son, went to Salem Academy, a Christian high school right there, a good school. And then what I think is really interesting is Josh's great-grandfather, Bruce's grandpa, this is a father and son that are on trial for these murders. Bruce's grandpa paid for the land and made a major donation for Salem Academy Christian High School. That's why it came into existence. Because grandpa, a man of God, gave a major donation to make it happen. How do we go from there to this great sin in a family? Dale Turnage, his cousin, said in the paper, it's astonishing to me, my father and my uncle would turn over in their grave if they knew this had happened. One of the neighbors said, this is crazy, it just doesn't make sense. Something that's an interesting twist in this story is Dale Turnage, the cousin, who wasn't the one that committed the crimes, but... Is speaking there about his cousins who did in the paper. Dale Turnage sold us the land that we're on right now. Came from the Turnage family who owned this land. So there's all these good, godly people in this family. Then there's this great shame that's been that's been brought in by members who just turned the wrong direction and went the wrong way. That's startling, but then you think of amazing families like. The family of Billy Graham. The family of Luis Palau. Two of the most godly men that have helped shape this nation with people coming to Christ. Maybe, maybe there's not two more names that have had to, more to do with salvation in America than Billy Graham and Luis Palau. And yet they have two sons, Franklin Graham and Andrew Palau, who turned away from God. And I'm, I'm not telling on them. This is part of their testimony, a story that they tell. They fell away from God growing up in those godly families. They moved into partying and into things that, that, that um, they're ashamed of as they look back on. But they came back to Christ. They were prodigals who came home. And really the truth is that's my story too. I'm a prodigal raised in a godly home, turned away, came back to God. The truth is not only is there sin in our lives but there's sin in our families all the way through. Galatians 3.22 says this, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So here's the truth. Jesus forgives and makes it better, but our sins and our families always make us less than perfect. There's our past, and then at times in our families there's something that's present right now. well that moves me to the second point and I'll I'll bring this home as we wrap it up near the end keep your heart right even though you've been wronged when it comes to family keep your heart right even though you've been wrong that's a lesson we see in David's life the enemy of our souls will do his best to make sure that we have every opportunity to have division in our families Now let's come back to the story of Absalom, the one who killed his brother Amnon because he raped his sister. After the murder, he flees because dad David, King David, is so upset. Now he has another of his sons that have died. And Absalom runs away to a faraway place. And David hurts because he loved Absalom as probably it could be said rightly so that Absalom was David's favorite son the Bible says that there was no one more handsome in all the land than Absalom the Bible says that he had favor with people because he had a charisma and an attraction to his personality that drew people in talked about his long flowing locks of hair that he would cut and sell from time to time and he was kind of popular among the people And the Bible lets us know pretty much that this was David's favorite son, and his favorite son kills one of his other sons. After three years of Absalom being away, one of the king's commanders, Joab, talks Absalom into allowing, or or talks David into allowing Absalom to come home. Even though he had killed his brother, he said, I know you love him, why don't you let him come back to Jerusalem? So David relents. And he lets him come back, but he won't see him. So now we have Absalom in the city, three years after he murders his brother. And we have David and Absalom not seeing each other, and then we see Absalom with a heart to really hurt his dad in 2 Samuel 15. Let's pick up the story. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. So here's this guy who committed this crime Back in town, starting to win the hearts of the people again. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from the tribes of Israel. One of the tribes. Verse 3 Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land. And you know, people who try to steal something away in the hearts of people from their leaders uh, will often come that same way to say, well, they don't care like I do and uh, they don't look to your needs like I would. And that's exactly what Absalom does. It goes on to say, then everyone who has a complaint or a case, he says, should come to me and I would see that he gets justice. So he's, he's stealing the hearts of the people away from David. Verse five, also Whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Then Absalom sent secret messengers through the tribes of Israel to say, now what's happening is he's, he's trying, it's the beginning of stealing the kingdom from his father David. As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king of Hebron, it says in verse 10. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They'd been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. So here's his plan and a conspiracy, verse 12. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. And the messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And it's a surprise to David. Absalom, who had been allowed back after three years, The one who had killed his brother had literally stolen the hearts of the people away from King David who had been faithful to them. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. Why? Because they were going to kill David and his men. Because they had more with Absalom than were with David and David knew he's in trouble so he flees. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. Wow. All this death and adultery and pain and sexual sin and now Absalom steals the hearts of the people and David has to run to the forest and hide out. Absalom moves into the city when David flees, they anoint him as king and now the son has literally taken the kingdom. Later, Absalom makes a decision to go out into the forest and fight David and his men, and David didn't have as many men, but he had great warriors that were with him, and they were fleeing to an area where they knew they could fight well in the forest, and they were experienced, and many of the soldiers with Absalom weren't. So Absalom follows bad counsel, and he goes out into the forest to try to do away with Dad, who was King David, and all of his men, and kill them. And as he goes out into the forest, he suffers a great defeat at the hands of David and the men of his army. And 20,000 soldiers that were with Absalom died that day in the forest as the mighty warriors of David took them out. You talk about pain. And then Absalom, you know the story. He's fleeing on a mule and he has this long, beautiful hair and as he's fleeing, it gets caught in a tree and he's hanging from a tree. Joab, the commander of of God uh, knows better because look what David said in 2 Samuel 18 when he sent them out, uh, verse 5, the king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And it says all the troops heard this. But Joab, even though he knew that, that uh, David didn't want Absalom killed, took a spear when he was hanging from that tree from his hair and he put a spear right through the heart of Absalom. And now a third son of David's is dead. Wow. Lots of pain. Lots of sin. Lots of heartache. Absalom came against his dad. And let's, let's look and see David's response. We know that even though his son means him harm, that David doesn't want to hurt his family member. Perhaps you have someone who has meant you harm in your family. Jesus shares with us the heart he wants us to have, if that's the truth. And listen to it. These are the words of Christ. And it's true for all people, but I want you to think about your families for a moment as we read this. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also if someone demands your coat offer your shirt also give to anyone who asks and when things are taken away from you don't try to get them back do to others as you would have them to do to you the enemy of your souls wants to make sure you have plenty of opportunity to get mad at your family members to get bitter to speak evil, to take them down, to strike back. But I want to encourage you to fight the good fight, and I mean that spiritually. We have in our minds a thought that we'd like to fix things. Sometimes we have in our mind a direction that we want to go, and God's Word won't back us up on what we're thinking at times. The truth is, if we'll follow God and follow his word, don't strike back, don't turn the other cheek. That doesn't make any sense. Well, listen, you can get sweet revenge for a moment, but in the end, it leaves your family broken. In the end, you become a contributor to more pain in the family. It escalates and it gets worse, not better. We have to trust the word of God. Here's why. This is the manual from the creator, telling the ones that he created how it all works and what is best for them. Let's think about that and I'll make a parallel for a moment. Illustration here. You buy a new car and the manual in the car says change the oil every 3,000 miles. And you can say, hmm, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's necessary. I'm going to do what I want to do because this is my car and nobody can tell me what to do. And I don't think I'll change the oil for 75,000 miles. That's what I'll do. I'll go 75 and not do what the manual says. So you can do that, but somewhere along the way, 35, 45,000, the oil gets used up, it dries up, your engine gets dry, it seizes up, the engine is ruined, and it'll just break up and fall all over the road on you. And now, things are ruined in that engine. And you could get mad then and say, What is wrong with the manufacturer, the creator of this car? I bought a good car and it broke down at 55,000 miles and that should not have happened. But if you go to the creators, they would say to you, did you change the oil? And you say, I don't think that's necessary. The creators would say, I think you found out a little different, didn't you? You can't blame the creator when they tell you how it works and you refuse to do it. And yet that's what we do in life with God. God. We say to him, okay, you have a manual, but I don't think I want to follow that. I think I'll do it my way. And you can do it your way. He won't force you. <clears throat> you have your own free will. You have to come to God because you want to out of a loving heart. Not because he won't make you. Here's the way it should work. If we would just trust him, Proverbs 3, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make the path straight. That means that we are people who sometimes want to figure it out in our own mind and do it our own way, but if our own way is contrary to the word of God, we need to yield to the word of God. Why? Because it's the manual and it shows us how it works. And if you can get to a place of trust in God and trust in his word like that, you're on the path that will bring success for you and your family and you may feel like I don't want to turn the other cheek I do want to strike back but it'll be, bring pain Keith Miller wrote a book a Christian book called the habitations <clears throat> of dragons and he tells the story of Alice that I want to read to you from that book he says I'll never forget Alice's face We were in a small group of adults, and we're getting acquainted by going around the room, each of us telling something about our childhood. One older lady had had a good many disappointments and seemed bitter about her past. Then it was Alice's turn. She spoke to us hesitantly. When I was a little girl, she said I was put in an orphanage. I was not pretty at all, and no one wanted me. But I can recall longing to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I can remember. I thought about it day and night. But everything I did seemed to go wrong. I tried too hard to please everybody who came to look me over and all I did was drive people away. Then one day, the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them and I was so excited, I jumped up and down and I cried. The matron reminded me that I was on trial and that it might not be a permanent arrangement, but I just knew it would be. So I went with this family and started school in their town, a very happy little girl, and life began to open up for me. Then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school and ran in the front door of the big house that we lived in. And no one was home, but there in the middle of the front hall was my battered old suitcase with my little coat thrown over it. And as I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what it meant. They didn't want me. And I hadn't even suspected. Alice stopped speaking, but Keith Miller says, we didn't notice because we were all standing in that front hall looking at the battered suitcase and trying not to cry. Then Alice cleared her throat And said almost matter-of-factly, that happened to me seven times before I was 13 years old. Keith Miller says, I looked at this tall, gray-haired woman sitting across the room and wept. I had just met Alice, but I found myself loving her and feeling a great compassion for her. She looked up surprised and touched by the way we were responding to her story. But she held up her hand and shook her head slightly and said, don't feel sorry for me. With a genuinely happy smile, she said, I needed my past. You see, it brought me to God. Alice didn't let the pain of her past ruin her future. Now, when it comes to your families, I just, I want to get this out for you to understand. Don't let the pain of your past ruin your future. God is forgiving and he's loving. And if all of us make decisions from this day forward, did you know God's more concerned about your future than he is your past? Did you know everything he says in here is about bringing hope and a future to you? It's about healing you and helping you? Let me just say that when it comes to our past and the pain and sin in our families, I think you ought to prayerfully consider if God wants you to tell your story. Because we let shame and embarrassment come into things too much for us. What does it say in the book of Revelation when it, where, where it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony? What? Did you know there are people who have had hurt in their families too? And when we get all secretive about all the pain, now I don't think you should share everything and I think you should pray if we consider what you should share, but I promise you this. God wants you to tell about the great things he's done for you and your family. The healing that he's brought. Because sitting beside you now are some people that are in pain. And if they could hear about the hope that came to you, about the healing that came, even though the sin and the pain was there, and not just always the sin of someone else, but sometimes our own sin that we could be honest about. When they hear about that and how God touched you and blessed you and forgave you, and and your future has been propelled to something good, you bring hope to those hearts. I think we ought to pray if we consider how much of our stories we should share. Because here's the deal. You and your family are a trophy that shows the grace of God, that shows how even though there's been pain and sin and hardship, the grace of God covers, the grace of God helps. The grace of God will heal. Not only did Alice stay away from the temptation to let her past ruin her future, David was able to look forward instead of looking back and become bitter. So Absalom rebellion was put down. David is coming back. Now, I'm about to read you a passage and let me set the scene for you. David has now defeated that army of Absalom that had rebelled against David himself. The soldiers that were with Absalom had to leave David to go to Absalom. They're traitors. If you want to look at it the right way, in, in reality, they were traitors. What would David do to those people that had turned against him and wanted to hurt him? What you and I do will have a lot to do with how the future goes with our family. Second Samuel, 1911. pick up the story there. David's coming back to the city, and David sent his messengers, his message rather, to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, and he said, "Ask the elders of Judah." Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his palace, since what is being said throughout Israel has reached the king's quarters? Now, listen to this. Now, remember, he's talking to the people that had rebelled against him and that had gone to Absalom. I think it's so fitting as we talk about family today. Verse 12 You are my brothers and my own flesh and blood. So, why should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, who's Amasa? Amasa was the commander of Absalom's troops that went out into the forest to try to kill David and his men. He said, Say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if from now on you are not the commander of the army, of my army, in place of Joab. Joab was the one who disobeyed the command to be gentle with Absalom and killed Absalom, David's son. And he says to Amasa, I'll put you in charge of the whole army. What an amazing act of grace and forgiveness David exemplifies here. And what's the result? Look at verse 14. Here's what happened because he did this. He won over the hearts of all the men of Judah as though they were one man. They sent word to the king, return you and all your men. And Judah was unified in almost instantaneously because of David's heart. To forgive. To bring healing. You know, there are family members um, that have sinned greatly and it, it hurts. You know, you think, you think of a mom and dad who gives their all and... Um, and, and the children go astray. And I don't think, until you're a parent, people just, people just, they couldn't get it. But you do your best, and, and then you feel somewhat responsible. I know that my, my, um, my sister, who, um, who is a lesbian and away from Christ, um, I know for years that my mother blamed herself. Listen, I was raised in the same home she was. And I had to sit with my mom and say, "Mom, he didn't do this. It's just, it's just her decision. And God gives everyone a free moral choice. You know, you talk about how precious the Lord is, um, how much He cares for each one of us. We were on a retreat some years ago, and uh, instead of bringing a speaker, and it was the elders and, and, and their wives and the pastor and their wives, we, we were meeting annually at the time. And I just ask everybody to share their story and their testimony. And my mother, she was carrying shame for years. Not, and she shouldn't have been. Um, But she was up all night long, scared to death and nervous about telling her story because she felt like the Lord wanted her to talk about this to people and she never had. And I wouldn't talk about it until I got my mother's permission. Now, you've heard me talk about it because we all need to know that even when it comes to homosexuality, God loves people. He wants to heal them and bring them back home. That's what I want for my sister. I want people like you loving on her and reaching to her where she's at so she can find Christ. But my mother would not, I had asked her if I could share about it and she said she wasn't comfortable so I was gonna honor that. That night, while my mother was Casey Bullis was woken up in the middle of the night remember Dave and Casey are our youth pastors here for years Casey said she didn't know what it was but God put Sylvia who's my mother on her heart and so much to the place that she got up from where she was went to the entrance of my parents room at 3 a.m. in the morning and sat there on the steps and just prayed for my mother And my mother didn't know she was outside the door at 3 a.m., but my mother was wide awake. Sometime around that time, my mother said she had a breakthrough. Now, this is not a breakthrough that took place in one night. This is a breakthrough that had taken 15 years. And my mother found the strength the next day to come and tell everybody about one of the things that had hurt her in her life. Shared her pain, and we all got to pray. And something happened in my mama's heart where she was healed. Then I was able to tell the story. I didn't tell this in the first service, I'm just feeling led to tell it now. You know what's happened since then? I talk about my my sister's homosexuality. I love my sister, God loves my sister. But you don't get to heaven because God loves you. You get to heaven because you love him back. I, I, I really, really love my sister. She's, she, there's been, she's a kind person. You don't get to heaven because you're a kind person. You get to heaven because you repent and take Jesus as your savior and grace is applied to your life. But I've talked about my sister in public settings now. And, and does anybody remember where there have been services where I call people forward who have family members that, that are homosexuals, and we pray for them? This is one of the areas where we carry shame in our families. And isn't it better to pray than to hide? I mean, really, isn't it? I mean, isn't it better to support one another? And my mother has had so many people pray for her now because she's got it out there and pray for my sister and now my mother prays for people and ministers to people and I guess, I don't know why I went there but I just feel like the Lord wanted me today to say that. What if we just get it all out there and pray and love one another? David, rather than holding something, I'll get back to this now, rather than holding something, Forgives, and I guess I want to say one more thing to uh, to parents. And and it, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's best. <laughs> Do you know what's best isn't always what's easiest. Um, sometimes our kids who've gone astray. Um. They, they feel that mom and dad's ap- approval is attached to their behavior and that they, they may not love them the same anymore. And I said that to say this, that the best thing we can do is love them. If we're not careful, we become very legalistic with rules, 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 rules. You didn't do this. And what happens is we don't mean to do it, but when we talk so much about rules and the right thing, what we're saying to the individual, what they're hearing is, they don't love me because I don't do what they want me to do. That's not what most parents mean, I'll tell you that. But that's how it comes across, because that's how the enemy will work it on the other side. And, um, you know, there comes a point where you've said enough, and your actions and your love will mean more. I have no idea why I'm talking about all this in this sermon right now. But there's the balance that will bring some healing into into lives and, and families. You know, to know you're loved, even though you've made all the mistakes, brings you to a point where you want to come home to a heavenly father who loves you. David forgave. Matthew six fourteen. for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you did not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, If that first line, if you forgive men when they sin against you, it would have been a lot easier for us if if we'd have just left out the second part of that, when they sin against you. (laughs) Pretty easy to forgive them if they haven't sinned against you. But when they've sinned against you, that's a different category, isn't it? When they've sinned against you, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now to forgive their sins is not to say that what they did was right or okay. But remember what I said, a good definition of forgiveness is to take them off your hook and put them on God's hook. You're not saying it was right, it was good or it's okay. You're just saying, I don't require anything for my heart to be healed to happen any longer because God's grace is big enough, his healing has covered me and I can go on with my life even if that person doesn't do the right thing. My family member who sinned against me. So I'm going to forgive and leave it up to God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. He's slow to anger, but he will bring justice in time if people don't repent. So we leave it to him and we trust him. But our job is to be like Jesus who when they drove the nails into his hands, we think about those soldiers sometimes and we think what cruel people to have driven the nails into the hand of our Savior. But the truth is, every time we've sinned, we're driving those nails in his hands too. Since all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and since sin is what put him on the cross, and it was our sin that drove the nails into the hands of the Savior. So let's not think about those soldiers as just those bad guys. Let's put ourselves in their shoes for a moment because it's us. And he says this, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. When I think of family sins, I, it makes people mad sometimes because I have compassion for those that have sinned greatly against their family members, with, even with terrible sin. And justice would require that these things are dealt with, but here's, here's why I have compassion. You know, I'm, I'm older, I'm 50 now, and hopefully I'm a little wiser, and here's what I've learned with people who've sinned against their family members, almost always they were sinned against in a significant way themselves. Almost always the abusers were abused when they were children. Almost always. It's hard to have compassion for the adult, but when you take it back in your life to the point where they were children and they were getting wounded and hurt, can't you feel for them? I mean, is it too much to believe that God forgives all sin? That God could heal all hearts? That God could make all people new creation? This is heavy duty. God, keep us from going to the place where we want them to be damaged and hurt and wounded and put away with. God, keep our hearts in the place where we want family members who sinned against us to find the same grace of God that we found. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And he said, Father, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. Third thought today, man, you guys just got a sermon within a sermon that was way different than what they got first service. And you know when that happens, it's... um, It's usually because God wants to touch someone's heart in here with something other than what I studied. And so I try to yield when he's saying that. And I I believe that the Lord, at least for a few of us, is bringing something home in our hearts to, uh, to be established that will bless us and help us as we move forward and maybe change the way we're thinking. Last thought here, last point. God will bless you and give you a family if you follow him. Because there may be some people saying, you know, I don't really have a family. Either you've refused to see them, or they're just not there, or they've refused to see you. David, after all his mistakes, now think of this all the sin that he committed, all the sin in his family, all the tough things that happened. He keeps returning to the Lord, and he makes this decision that I'm just going to serve him. And listen, if we would do this, if you've made mistakes, If family hasn't been so great, part of it's your fault, part of it's someone else's fault. If you will decide right now to do the right thing from this day forward, God's more interested in your future than he is your past. Start now and say, God, according to your word, the manual, I'm going to do my best to live this way. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says that the sins of the forefathers, the iniquities of the forefathers visited the children to the third and fourth generation. And I know some people who think that that means that... uh, you know, we, we're gonna, our sin will affect the generations to come and there's, it's just the way it is. But they, I, I think they wrongly assume that when they read that part of the scripture because they don't read the rest of the scripture there. Connected right to it is the rest of the, the verse that says, and God will bless those that follow him for a thousand generations. Here's what that means. That if that, if that person who's got the iniquities of the sins of the past from their family, says, all right, the journey starts new today. From the moment you get a new person with a new heart that's following Christ that says, I will follow you, that family will be blessed from a thousand generations to come. A thousand generations, that's a long time. Meaning no matter where you've been, if you go the right direction now, blessing will start to come. Your family will never be perfect. But because you live for Christ, you'll have a lot less problems in your family. Every family will have difficulty and sin. But you will bring blessing upon blessing if you start it today. Just go the right direction for your family. God blessed David because David did that even though all that sin was in his family. 2 Samuel 7, 11, the Lord declares to you, he's talking to David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Your house is and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He's saying, I'm gonna bless your family from this day forward because of your heart to follow me, even though that's all in your past. It's forgiven, I'm with you because your heart is towards me now. And God will establish your family that way as well. Not perfect, but nonetheless blessed in incredible ways. And look at this, God chooses to use David's family as the lineage for Christ. What? What, all this sin in the family and he chooses David's family? There's only one way to explain how he allows the lineage of Jesus Christ his son to come from the house of David. One word and it's grace. That's the only way with all that sin in the family. They have a heart towards God, the grace of God flows and God says this, John seven forty two. does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem? the town where david lived my word that's amazing the grace of god flows when we say i'm going your way god romans 323 for everyone sinned we all fall short of god's glorious standard yet god with undeserved kindness i just love the way that's written in the new living translation of the bible undeserved kindness that's what we all get from God when we turn to him declares that we are righteous he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins if the past has been terrible then take God's grace and undeserved kindness and follow him from this day forward I like what Joshua said here you see it's resolute the resolve, Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I love it when I see that verse in people's homes. It's a real common one. You just have it right right over the doorway, right by the entryway. In a lot of families, a little, that, that part of the verse, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That, my friends, is beautiful. That is serious business. That is where the blessing of the Lord dwells on families when they make a decision that they will follow the Lord. A final word for those who might be feeling, you know, I, I really don't even have family. This all just makes me sad. I don't have anyone. I didn't have anyone at Thanksgiving. There, there are those among us who, who might feel that way. Let me tell you the story, a true story about a lonely person who gets a family. He was a soldier, and this true story is spoken of in Rebecca Manley Pippert's book, A Heart for God. And here's what she said. There was an American soldier who was fighting overseas. A mail service existed that arranged for people to write to soldiers to give them a morale boost. One day, this soldier, whom we'll call Sam, received a delightful letter from a woman in New York City, and they began corresponding found out that they had many things in common. For one, a shared Christian faith. He was amazed by how her letters always picked up his spirits. Being at war was very lonely and a difficult experience for him. Not getting letters from family, but getting letters from this anonymous stranger. And she encouraged him with the biblical promises simply by saying that she prayed for him daily. Eventually, he came home on furlough. When he realized that he was going to have an afternoon in New York before flying out again, he decided to write her. And he said that he'd love to meet her and thank her in person for how she'd encouraged him spiritually. He told her that he would be at Central Park and where to look for him. She wrote back and she said that she'd be there wearing a red corsage on her dress so he could spot her easily. Now remember, true story, Sam got to the park early And he was sitting reading the paper. He scanned the vicinity to see if there were any women with the red carnation. And then he went back to his paper. Suddenly the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen walked up to him. She was smiling, radiant, beautifully dressed, elegant and slim. And her voice was so kind and tender that his heart skipped a beat. He thought to himself, if only the Lord would send a woman like that to me. To his astonishment, he heard the woman say to him, hi soldier, Would you like to have some lunch? There's a marvelous restaurant right around the corner to your right. He glanced at his watch to see how much time he had before the rendezvous with the woman who had supported him in prayer. He still had five minutes and he wanted desperately to go, even for just a cup of coffee. But as he glanced up from his watch, he spotted an elderly woman across from him on another bench. She looked in her 80s, had a weather-worn face and was Deeply, that face was deeply lined. She was dressed very poorly, an old black coat around a tattered dress, and in her coat lapel was a bright red carnation. His heart sank, and though he felt torn, he said to the beautiful blonde in front of him, I'd love to go. You have no idea how much, but I have a prior commitment. I owe a great deal to someone who's helped me through a difficult time, and I'm not free to do anything else but thank you with all my heart for inviting me. She smiled and said, well, if anything changes your mind, I'll be at that restaurant. As she strode off, he prayed, Lord, sometimes I wish I didn't know so much about being obedient. Yet as much as I want to, if it is your will, you would have worked out the circumstances, so I will obey you and trust in your perfect plan for my life. Even though I feel perfection has just walked by me. He sighed and walked over to the elderly lady, smiling at her. He put his hand, put out his hand rather, and said, "I believe we have a lunch date today." To his amazement, she replied, "No, we don't. But I'll tell you who you do have one with—that lovely young lady who just came over to you and pinned this, or who just came over to you, pinned this red corsage on me." Then she pointed to you and told me that if that soldier sitting on the bench came over and offered to take me to lunch, I was supposed to tell you that she was the one you were really looking for. And she's waiting for you at that restaurant right around the corner to your right. He was bowled over, but started to sprint for the restaurant. (laughs) True story now, they had a glorious lunch, they continued corresponding, and they got married as soon as he was out of the army. God puts the lonely in families. Don't underestimate His goodness and His heart for you. He has your best interests at mind, and He knows what He's doing.